1 Peter 2, uh, 1-9. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by, sanctifying, uh, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof, proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Good morning. We are in Romans chapter 1. Good morning. Romans chapter 1, last week in verse 4, we left off with a title for Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord, which will be the theme for the entire book, Jesus Christ our Lord, Jesus the man, Christ the Messiah, Lord the master, the the commander, the chief, Jesus Christ. And that relates into the passage we're going to look at this morning in verses 5 and 6. So we've had, last week, the Son must be decisively declared to be alive to be the Messiah. He had to be resurrected from the dead. He has to be alive to be the Messiah. And He has to be declared the one and only Lord to be the Messiah. He has to be the Lord. Now, Paul is writing a greeting. And this is the largest, longest greeting in any of the books that he's written. So he makes a special attention to the greetings. Here's a greeting for you. In Tibetan, in the high mountains of Tibet, people give a very strange greeting when you greet one another. Okay, you ready? You're going to like this. We're going to make it part of our constitution. You've got to greet one another like this. Here you go. You approach one another and you bow low. You extend your open hands towards the other person to show them you have no weapons and you wish to be friendly. <laughs> Here you go. You stick out your tongue, which means that you hold no evil words for the other in your mouth. I like it. So everybody greet one another when you get ready to go this morning with a Tibetan greeting. Paul is trying to do the same thing. He's trying to give a special greeting to the Romans. The Roman church 
didn't know him. There were some people that knew him, but the majority of the church didn't know him. There seems to be at least two house churches in Rome by this time. And they're, they're being notified by Paul from Corinth. So he writes a letter from Corinth to Rome. And he's trying to communicate the essentials of Jesus Christ in his greeting. That's why we have to take time to go through the first several verses. We're in verse 5 this morning. Notice verse 5. <clears throat> Where's my clicker? Where's my clicker? Okay, I don't have a clicker up here. Somebody is in charge of the uh, clicker for me. It's hard to go when you don't have a clicker. Sorry. Okay, next one. Okay, next one. There we go. We're in verse 5. Sorry. Though whom you, whom, through whom we have received, through whom we have received, goes back to the previous verse, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith among all Gentiles for his name's sake. So, Paul is trying to give the reason for why he can write the letter. Okay? Put it this way. What makes Paul qualified to write the letter to the Romans? There you go. First, number one. Believers have the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had a ministry. He had a meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Remember that? A bright light shone forth. It caused blindness in the eyes of Paul. He couldn't see. Ananias came. He received his sight. And God gave him a commission that he was going to preach to the Gentiles. He had a mission. God saved him so that he would have a ministry to do. Guess what? If you have been saved by Jesus Christ... If God has worked in your life, he has he's covered your sins and given you a relationship with God, you have a ministry with Jesus Christ as well, that Jesus Christ has given you. You have a relationship, he's your Lord and Master, and you have a ministry to do. Now, the question is, are you doing the ministry? Notice what Paul says about his ministry. It comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins with the work of Jesus Christ giving you salvation. The gifts come from God the Father. He gives them through the Son. So every gift you've had from God comes through the Son. The apostles speaking not of human achievement, but a divine gift that came from God. You have a ministry that God gives you by his gifting, His grace, His goodness. He gives you a divine source of power to do your ministry. We have received, Paul uses the plural, we have received, includes all Christians, that we have received the grace of God. If you've been saved, you received the grace of God. Every day you receive the grace of God. God ministers blessings to you each and every day. Paul links himself with others 
who have received this grace. Second, what makes Paul qualified to write the letter to the Romans? He has a ministry from Jesus Christ. Second, believers have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you receive the grace of Jesus Christ that gives you a taste of the goodness and blessings that come from God that you desire to share with others. And Paul has received the grace of God. Grace, at the bottom line definition of grace, is that which causes joy. That which causes joy. So at the very basic meaning of the word grace comes joy. If you have joy, it comes from God's grace. True joy comes from God's grace. Grace, which every believer comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and grace, which continues each and every day of your life in Christ. There's a church father who was dying, and he said this, quote, Grace is the only thing that can make us like God. I might be dragged through heaven, earth, and hell, and I would still be the same sinful, polluted wretch unless God himself would cleanse me by his grace. That's good. I like that. The only thing that makes us clean is the grace of God. The only thing that makes us usable is the grace of God. Salvation does not come by baptism, by confirmation, by communion, by church membership, by church attendance, by keeping the Ten Commandments, by trying to live by the, the Sermon on the Mount, by serving others, even serving God. It does not come by being morally upright. It does not come by being respectable, self-giving. It doesn't come by simply believing that there is a God. And it doesn't come by believing Jesus Christ is His Son. Salvation comes by a transforming reality which finds its source in the grace or kindness of God. So, Paul says, I have a mission, a ministry to do. And I got that ministry from God the Father. Paul says, I have grace. And I got that grace so I can share grace with others. And I got that from God. You have received a ministry from God. You have received grace from God. Amen? 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 I hope so. Now, if you've received a ministry from God, and you received a grace from God, then there's got to be a third part to it. You ready? You're, oh, you're not on the edge of your seat. Got to be ready. Here you come. Third, what makes Paul qualified to write the letter to Romans. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. And apostleship. Number three, believers have a mission from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had a mission from the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a job to do, if you want to use the term. He had a role to fulfill. I like that term better. He had a mission to accomplish. And his mission 
was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. The Roman church seemed to be made up of majority of Gentiles, and he wanted to minister to them. That was his mission. He wanted to accomplish his mission. He wanted to talk and share the good news of Jesus Christ with the people in Rome. He had an apostleship to be sent. Notice, by the way, that you have to have grace before apostleship. If you're doing good works and have never experienced the grace of God, it doesn't count for anything. You have to have grace, then apostleship. You have to have grace and then the mission to do. If you go and do things for God, thinking it's pleasing God, you're not pleasing God. You have to taste grace first. Then minister to God, to the people, to the role that He's given you, to the duty He has for you. Paul was called an apostle to the Gentiles. His vocation was a gift he claimed from God. He wanted to share the gospel message with Gentiles. He wanted to minister to them. He had a mission for them. The church at Rome had an opportunity to learn from Paul because Paul had been gifted by God to share with them. Now, there are things that may step on toes. Here you go. You have been given a ministry. You've been made alive because of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. You have accepted that. You repented of your sins. You placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You have made Him Lord and Master of your life. Now, that gives you a purpose for living. Your purpose is twofold. With grace, you share with everyone. And then, He gives you a mission. Now, guess what? My mission is different than your mission. What your mission is, maybe I can't even do. Maybe my mission, what I have, you can't even do. But we're all gifted with a mission to accomplish. Paul's was being an apostle. Our mission could be different. Our roles could be different. The way the believer has received grace, he's received this role in the kingdom of God. There's a role that God has given you. Don't want that one. There you go. The believer has received grace. He receives a role in the kingdom of God. You have been ordained. I like that word. Ordained by God. Oh, I like that word. Look at the person next to you. Say, yo, ordained Kirby, or ordained... Melinda, or ordained whatever, that's a person that's ordained. In other words, what's ordained mean? You have and know what your mission is. You have a mission. You have a role. You have a purpose. You have a duty that God has given you. You know what they've done in a lot of uh, athletic events now? They've uh, made um, 
everybody, they, they don't do cuts anymore, okay? If you walk on, you join the team, and you're part of the team. Now, the problem is, if you walk on a team, and you're not good at, at the sport, the coach may not use you ever, but you make the team. God's not that way. God, well, for instance, let me tell you about my last college basketball game. I usually don't tell people about my last college basketball game, but I'm going to share with you because you're my friends. Okay? Here you go. Last college, it was the second round in the playoffs. It was second round, and you win, you go on. You lose, you go home. Now, I was the shortest guy on the team, but I would always get to go in when somebody in the first half got two fouls. You get two fouls, whoever you are, you come out because the coach is going to yell at you, okay, for getting two fouls. I would go in. I would go in, and then everybody would rotate around, take new spots, new jobs, and I would come in. And then if the other team went to a zone, the coach would send me in because I could make it from half court on. And I would shoot. So if they go to a zone, I would come in and play. If somebody got two fouls, I'd come in and play. The last game, guess what happened in the first half? They didn't play a zone. And nobody committed two fouls. So I sat the whole first half. Okay, I don't see any tears yet. Okay, <laughs> we're trying to get there. Second half starts. This second half, I come in when somebody has three fouls. And guess what happened? Nobody got three fouls. Guess what happened? The other team never went to a zone. And it got in the fourth quarter, well, actually it was two halves, but the last second half, they were creaming us. So the coach put in a bunch of guys that never played before and put them in. So these guys that never played all year long, they got in, and the coach let them play as we were losing by so many points. So then I sat there, did not play the first half, and guess what happened? I didn't play the second half. My last college basketball game, I didn't play a minute. Now, all my years of coaching after that, I understand that. It made sense. The coach did what he was supposed to do. At the point, I was upset. I didn't get to play. But if you are on God's team, the rules aren't like that. You're in the starting lineup. You're not in the starting lineup for wallpaper or to be looked at or something. You are there to work. And you're there to do your job. And you are there to fulfill your role. Paul's role was to be an apostle. Your role is something else. It, it could be uh, husband. It could be father. It could be grandfather. It could be uh, co-worker. It could be leader. It could be whatever your role is. You do your role. And your role always advances the kingdom of God. Always. Here you go. Paul's goal. Paul's goal. There are three goals that Paul has for the people that will receive the letter to the Romans. Three goals. Verse 5. 
whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Three goals. First goal, believers want our friends to be in a state of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want our friends to be in a state of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to bring about the obedience of the faith. See that phrase there? The obedience of the faith. Paul's goal was to have every person in Rome obedient to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted everybody to believe in Jesus Christ. He wanted everybody to know Jesus Christ. He wanted everybody to grow in obedience. Can you imagine what would happen in America today if we had everyone a believer who was obedient to faith? Can't forget that. Can you imagine what everyone in Augusta would be like if we were obedient to faith? Can you believe, can you imagine what Douglas would be like if everybody was obedient to faith? It would change. It would change the world. It would change everything. That's the goal that we have as, as, as trying to get our mission and trying to know if we're doing a good job at our mission. It's the amount of people around us in our mission that are obedient. That are obedient. You know, you can come to church and you can look good as a church attender. But if you're not obedient to the faith, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You are to show your faith through your obedience. You are to show your obedience through your faith. This is good. Look at this. Carl, Carl, Bart, Dr. Carl Bart, he wrote this about faith. He said, quote, faith is not obedience. Faith is not obedience. But obedience is not obedience without faith. Faith is not faith without obedience. They belong together as do thunder and lightning in a thunderstorm. Did we have that this week? Did you have thunder and you have lightning? Woke me up. You have them together. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you claim to have faith, you will have and if you have obedience, you will have? You will have it. And if you have both, you have a mission, you have God's grace, you have the ministry of Christ, you will hope to have more obedience in whatever ministry you have. Whatever, let's say you work at a gas station. You want that gas station to be more obedient to faith. And the way you do that is by introducing them to Jesus Christ. Introducing them to the grace of Jesus Christ. You've got to have that first. And then it will change their life and their manners. You cannot change their life and manners without changing their grace. You've got to change both. And God will bless you and you'll see more people being obedient to faith. Do nothing and you'll see more chaos in your life. Because you're disobeying and not doing your job and fulfilling your mission. 
You have to have obedience with a true measure of a person's faith. The more a believer trusts in God, the more a believer will produce righteous actions. The true faith will verify your obedience. Faith and obedience manifest two sides of the same coin. To obey God and put away everything else that's offensive to Him. Believers should do everything they can to purify themselves in the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, and even sometimes in the admonishment of other believers, so that we do have obedience with faith. We want to have obedience with faith. I want to take you down this road just a little bit further. A couple more ideas of how to show your obedience. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Come on now. Let's turn those pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse... 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. See if another aspect of this obedience will come true, come through, will be evident, will be seen. If you're doing your mission, these things will occur. Verse 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. You are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. You, your design in, in obedience to faith is to protect the knowledge of God. What you do is you promote the true knowledge of God. You are sharing true knowledge of God with those that are under your mission, your calling. You are destroying speculation. Speculation is technically philosophical ideas that the world has about life. It's talking about ideas that people come up with on how to live that go against the knowledge of God. You want to promote the knowledge of God. Plans that go against the knowledge of God is wickedness. You want to put down every lofty thing that's raised up. Military works that are thrown against a, a battlement. You want to throw them down. You throw them down with the knowledge of God. The fortress that goes against the knowledge of God is to be destroyed. In your mission, you try to destroy every, every false knowledge of God. You want to, you, to promote every true knowledge of God. Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, Roman Catholics, Hindus, Buddhist, Islam, any form of religion, atheist, agnostic, any legalistic church, even any non-believing Bible, non-Bible believing Protestant church, are all fortresses set up against the knowledge of God. And we are to break them down with the true knowledge of God. And notice the last part. And we are taking every thought captive to what? The obedience of Christ. You want every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Your goal in your mission, if you have grandkids, you want those grandkids to grow in the knowledge of God. And you want to break down every thought they have that is anti the knowledge of God. That's your mission. That's your goal. That's what you want to accomplish. You want to change their thoughts by promoting the knowledge of God. And you do that with every aspect of your mission that you have. And Paul desires to do that in Rome with the Gentiles that are there. 
Let's go down another road. Turn back to Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Let's go down another road of aspect of this changing, being obedient to faith. Romans chapter 6. Verse 16. Romans 6. Verse 16. <clears throat> Believers not only want you to be obedient to faith, not only want your every thought to be captive with the knowledge of God. Notice verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? If you are promoting your mission, you want more righteousness to occur. You want more righteousness to be seen. As you're promoting your ministry, you're changing your ministry, you're teaching your ministry, you're evangelizing your ministry, you want more righteousness to be seen. Obedience to faith, uh, thoughts captive. You want lives to produce righteousness in keeping with the knowledge of God. You want sin to be destroyed. You want unrighteousness to be destroyed. You want slavery to sin to be destroyed. And you do that by salvation, by the gospel message. How to be saved so that you're obedient and producing righteousness. A state that's opposite of sin. To be under grace leads you to obligation to obey God. Go back to chapter 1. So you got three things there. A little bit further down the road of being obedient to faith. Having thoughts captive. Having actions changed to righteousness. These are the things you want to happen with your roles. Your mission. Look at verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. What are the three goals Paul has for people that will receive the letter to the Romans? Second goal. Believers want all of Douglas, all of Augusta, Tawanda, Burden, and Rome to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you live in Derby, put Derby in there. But wherever you live, put the name of your town in your notes. Because your town is your mission field. It is where you are to show your role as an apostle, per se, to share the gospel message. So, believers want all of Douglas, Augusta, Tawanda, Burden, Rome to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the phrase, among all the Gentiles. All the Gentiles. I love Paul. He's not a small focused guy. He wants all the Gentiles in Rome to come to know Jesus Christ. Do you have a heart where you want everyone in Douglas to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? You have that vision that Paul has, that we should have. Whatever place you live in, put it in there. And if that's your goal, your mission, the place God has put you, that is the place you want to have lives change. You want them to come to know Jesus Christ. Paul focuses 
on his ministry to the Gentiles, and he selects all of them. The end of verse 5. Third reason, third goal Paul has for people that will receive the letter to Romans. Third, Gentiles for his name's sake. Number three, believers want the glory and benefit to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't do it so we have a big church. We don't do it so we have to buy a new parking lot. We don't do it to have anything we can boast about. We do it so that God, Jesus Christ, gets the glory. It's for His namesake. It's for His namesake. It's for Him to get the glory. We do things in our roles, in our mission field, we do things for Jesus Christ to get the glory. There's no patting ourselves on the back. All glory goes to Jesus Christ for His name's sake. His name, His character, His person. Jesus is the goal for everything we do with our mission. Paul ministers not for personal gain, not for the gain of the converts, but to glorify and benefit the Lord Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's ministry is Christ-centered. The name, I like that, the revelation, what we know about Jesus Christ. Everything we know about Jesus Christ is what we try to communicate. The aim is to accomplish through the preaching of the Gospels to both the Jews and the Gentiles. We want God's name to be praised. We want the name of Jesus Christ to be praised. We want the name of Jesus Christ to be praised. Amen? Now, be careful. Because there's another option here. You want to hear the other option? Okay. Chapter 2, Romans, verse 24. This may hurt. This may step on your big toe. Hang on. It's not me, it's Paul. Chapter 2, verse 24. Verse 24, for the name of God is, what's that word? Blaspheme. That's a hard word even to come out, man. You don't want to hear that. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The name of God is blasphemed. There are two options this week. I'll forget this week. This, today, the next hour, the next 90 <laughs> minutes, there are two options. Either Jesus guy, Jesus Christ gets blessed or God gets blasphemed. And it all comes down to how we obey and fulfill our mission. We will either blaspheme God. Doesn't that bother you? Does it bother you? When you hear somebody takes Jesus' name in vain? It bothers you. But you may be doing the same thing by not fulfilling your mission. You have a mission given you by God. You need to praise God's name. You need to praise the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. You want His name to be glorified. You want Him to be praised and honored. You want Jesus Christ to receive all glory. Verse 6, chapter 1. Verse 6, chapter 1. Third question this morning. What does Paul know about the believers in Rome? What's Paul know about the believers in Rome? Verse 6, 
among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ. Here, he's looking at his readers, and he knows something about them. He says, you have been called by Jesus Christ. Now, guess what? I look at a group of people here. Guess what? You have been called by Jesus Christ. Am I guessing? If you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you've been called. And if God calls you, he's got a job for you to do. The question is, are you doing your job? Are you doing your job? Here you go, number one. Believers in Douglas, Augusta, Tawanda, Burden, and Rome need to grow their spiritual knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through biblical discipleship. Don't put all the cities there. Put your city there. Believers in Douglas, Augusta, Tawanda, Burden, and Rome need to grow in their spiritual knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through biblical discipleship. Why? Because you have been called. God called you. The gospel came to you. You heard the gospel. You repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That makes you called. That makes you special. That makes you the first round draft pick. That makes you ready to play. And if you're doing your job, you're playing with 150% of your strength. And you are doing everything you can to advance the mission of Jesus Christ. And you're doing your part by fulfilling your roles. And you are working so that your city comes to know Jesus Christ. And if they come to know Jesus Christ, they will advance in their knowledge of God. Through discipleship. In other words, when you, when you lead somebody to Christ, when some, you share the gospel of Christ with somebody and they accept Christ, you're not done. You teach them what you know. And you make them stronger in their walk with God. And they get stronger. And then they can share with others. You also, everywhere... In the Bible, there's a sharp distinction, a sharp line drawn in the sand. And it's here. Either you're called or you're not called. Either you're a believer and you're not a believer. If you're not a believer, what you need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, what you need is to grow in everything in the Word of God. The knowledge of God. And you grow. You grow. And you teach. And you share so that your mission produces more fruit for the kingdom of God. And you want to be more powerful, reaching out for the kingdom of God, sharing the grace of God with others, so that they grow in their desires, because called belong to God. Their lives are His. Obedience to them. Obedience to Jesus Christ is key. Now, guess what? We don't do the calling. God does the calling. All we do is the sharing. We share. God convicts. We share, and God grows the church. We share, 
God advances the kingdom of God. And we want everyone to come and know our Savior. Everyone. Paul said, all Gentiles. What a big picture! All we're saying is all of Douglas, Augusta, Tawanda, Burden. All we have is what God has given us. And we have our mission field, and we want to go out and work that mission field. Now, $24 million question is, are we doing our job? Here we go, application. Will I grow in my grace and mission? Each day you grow in your grace. You want to grow in your joy with God. You want to grow in your grace. You also want to grow in your mission. You want to advance the kingdom of God. And I want my believing friends to spiritually grow and my non-believing friends to place their faith in Jesus Christ and trust Jesus Christ. We want me, myself, I, to advance the grace of God by fulfilling my mission each and every day. Each and every day. There's a pastor, he was riding along with a professor from a school, a seminary, and uh, we passed by an unusually large liquor store. And uh, the pastor's friend mentioned that was one of a large chain of liquor stores in the city, owned by a man who went to his church. The biggest chain of liquor stores went to his church. So, of course, the pastor went a little bit further with that one. And he says, uh, he said, you know, tell me a little bit about this. And uh, the professor goes, as a matter of fact, he's in my discipleship group. Pastor goes, really? How's that going? And the professor goes, well, we talk about it frequently, but he feels that, some, that people who drink are going to buy their liquor somewhere. They might as well buy it in his stores. And the pastor was taken back and said, well, is the rest of his life in order? How's his spiritual walk with God? And the professor answered, well, uh, he left his wife a little while ago. He's living with another woman right now. Uh, he still comes to church and discipleship classes every week. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to understand. And the pastor goes, um, not really. Have you ever considered that he may not be a Christian at all? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I can't tell what your heart is, but I can tell what your actions are. And if your actions are growing in grace and missions, there are certain things we will do and certain things we will not do that go along with the advancing the knowledge of God. And we'll take captive every thought that's 
contrary to the knowledge of God, and we'll take away all actions that are contrary to the knowledge of God, and we will advance the kingdom of God. And we will be different than maybe our culture is. We desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it happens not by pastor doing everything, but by everyone doing everything. You have a mission. You have a calling. God has a purpose for calling you. And the mission probably begins in your town for God's glory. How are you doing? I'm not the judge. God's the judge. How are you doing? Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. I thank you, Father, for the truth of your word, how it helps us, Father, to grow in grace each and every day. I pray, Father, that as we grow in grace, that we would grow in our somewhat apostleship as well, that we will share with the gospel message, we'll advance the knowledge of God, that we'll deal with love, Father, showing that we have different priorities in this world than, than people who desire sin more than anything else. We desire, Father, to please you as our Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, you help us as we go through Romans and learn more about this lordship, learn more about this life, learn more about this salvation, learn more about the theme of Romans as we grow in grace. We thank you, Father, for this time in your word. Help us, Father, to fulfill our mission this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.